The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Hey, welcome. I'm so glad you're here. You are so deserving of all the joy and juiciness you can stand. I'm Lisa McCourt of Joy School, and this is Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Let's do some joy. Welcome back to Do Joy, all you beautiful people. Have I told you lately that I love you? Yeah, probably, probably just last week, but I do, and I want you to know that even though you listeners are not here in my immediate world the way my Joy School students are, I still feel you. I feel you out there. I feel you energetically, not just those of you who write to me, but even you ones who don't. And I think that's kind of the the magic and felt experiences that we'll be exploring today with my immensely knowledgeable guest. As many of you know, spring is the most auspicious time of year for starting something new. And this is one of the things that I've discovered in my research for that book that's coming out next year where my joy trainings are delivered through a seasonal lens. So in my Oasis groups, everyone has determined metaphorical seedlings that they've planted in their individual lives. And as some of you know, we decided to plant a collective seedling that we could all work on and nurture and grow together during the springtime. And we decided that would be strengthening our intuition. Wherever we are with intuition, we're working to up-level that, and it's so much fun. So today, we have a superstar of intuitive development to play with. I've only just met her, but I adore her already. Karen Garvey is an author, teacher, and wildly accomplished conduit to universal wisdom. Teacher to one of my new favorite teachers. Welcome, Karen. Hello. It's so, so good to be here, Lisa. Thanks. Well, it was intuitively guided, I know, right? We were introduced by Victoria, my brand new bestie, Victoria Shaw, who was on this podcast a bit back, and she and I had an intuitive hit about one another, just like had this knowing when we first met. We were both teaching classes for a retreat at the Institute for Creative Living, and it was like the girlfriend version of Love at First Sight. She's going to listen to this now, and I might be embarrassed, but I think she feels the same way, I think. Either that or it just got weird. I don't know. (laughs) No, that's part of the challenge that people have today is that they have redirected themselves into thinking logically and analytically and using reason and pros and cons lists and ignoring what I think is a more important resource that can guide us, things like that serendipity, synchronicity, feelings, coincidence, all of those are magical, but not just magical in a woo-woo way, but real they're real guides for us. Yeah, they are. And it's just training ourselves to recognize that, right? Because that's not yes. what we're taught. Yes. Yeah. So she told me about you and I went to your site and I was just like, yes, 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 to every little tiny bit that I read or listened to. It's all in full alignment with everything we do here at Joy School. Joy School isn't overtly about building intuition, but it's entirely about connecting with that inner wellspring of joy and love and connectivity, that soul self that every one of us came here as. We know we're all that at our core and we go through this weird human existence accumulating all those layers of false stuff that keeps us from experiencing life as that joyful self. So that's the angle that we approach things from at Joy School and coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, it seems like connecting with that divine inner essence is also the ticket to experiencing intuition to ever greater extents. Definitely. And even as I'm listening to you, you're basically 
saying the same things that I say, but just using your language choices. Because once you tap into that, that eternal truth, you will find it in this lifetime or another one, but you'll find it throughout history recorded as the means toward having a balanced, full, happy life. And it is the pathway to joy. Uh, intuition is a, a catch-all phrase that people use differently, but for me, what I see it as is it is the conduit, it is the connection to our eternal consciousness, to all that is and all that exists, and also to our inner wisdom. Um, I coined a term a long time ago called earth amnesia and earth amnesia is what allows us to take this human manifestation of our soul and forget all the truths that we have access to. And the journey here is partially to recall and recall and recall and to see how much more balanced and fulfilled and satisfying our lives become as we recall this wisdom and we connect with it and we use it. Absolutely. I love that you made that distinction because I think a lot of people equate intuition with being psychic and seeing the future. And it's really not about that, or at least to my mind, I've done some sort of like intuitive trainings before with various teachers. None really gelled with me the way Victoria has. And I think that's because I know that we all have this inner inner soul being, this connectivity. That's what I base everything on. And I like the this this lens for viewing intuition that it's just connecting with what's there it's just like getting rid of all those layers and and being with what's there it's not really about parlor tricks and being able to to know that's the exactly right right that's exactly right and I, I i realize that some people develop their intuition to such proficiency that they become outstanding mediums or they bring physical evidence of our eternal nature and those have a great place on earth and and can I do those things? Absolutely. I don't find the same amount of um, joy in my own life for focusing on those because I feel that they're more limited. You know, if I can bring you physical evidence of the existing soul and their connection with you of someone you you loved and has no longer has their physical body, and it's just a finite experience to help you overcome your grief, but it also can potentially open you up to the insight of that love never dies and that we are eternal. But the real fun for me is in taking that knowledge that we are eternal and that love never dies and using it to transform your life into becoming something more meaningful and not seeing it as finite or limited or meant to be hard or depressing or um, to make you feel as though you're lacking anything in this in this world, but to help open up to the the unlimited possibility because if you can communicate and get physical evidence of the existence of someone that you loved um, that really does knock down the wall of of belief for so many people and in that regard I value that aspect of it uh, but what I like I think exactly what you do from what you're saying is it's more about how can we transform that into having a more meaningful life experience right how can we transform that? Exactly like you say, the word joy, it's one of my favorite words. People don't necessarily even understand what that means. It's not bliss. It's not happiness. It's not peace. It's not even ecstasy. It's that thing. It's that spark. It's that drive. It's that curiosity. It's that pursuit. It's that imagination. It's, it's like the thing. It is like the thing. I know. I love your definition. We talk about that too, how you know we're we're here to experience a whole spectrum of human emotions and joy is just the the free flowing of any of those emotions through us. We can have joy and sadness, we can have joy and anger if we're just not blocking and and putting up all that resistance and judgment on our feelings. And it sounds like connecting, you know, into that inner place, like you have uh, honed the skills for so brilliantly, just releases us from all that human stuff that we've accumulated that wasn't ever really real. You know, we, we talked about that. Yeah, in high school. that's exactly right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. It, it's the only real part of us, right? Is this this eternal core piece where all of our joy resides, all of our peace and, and resilience resides. Yeah, there's no doubt. And that's half of the challenge, probably more than half the challenge is for people to first recognize that they have masks and layers that have accumulated based on their own personal experience. It's not even a measurement of how much pain someone has had during their childhood. It's a measure of how we took in those experiences and they separated us from 
the wisdom of our soul and to have the knowledge that we can make our way back uh, that's what starts to help us bring back our power our power to choose and to recognize that we have permission to have happiness and we have permission to step away from the struggle that we may have assumed is a natural part of life because it really needn't be a natural part of life absolutely do you think we're headed there? How, how do you feel about the direction of humanity? I'm, I'm, this always seems to come up and maybe I'm a little <laughs> obsessed with getting the different viewpoints because I love to point out how we're moving in such a, a good direction right. historically. And it can really feel counter to that out there in the messy, messy world right now. What, what do you think? If Are you really think right? about this, I, 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 I did a seminar one time on just like 100 year history and how we can see the advances in our positive level of awareness um, on the globe and, and see it through one year of a window of possibility. And when you actually look at that and you break down the decades of the 1900s, 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and you take away the big piece of growth that we experienced in each of those decades, it helps us to see that the process of enlightenment is not only occurring in these ways that we can see that are visible, but it is also accelerating. And anything that accelerates means that it'll occur at a more rapid pace and with more frequency as time continues. So that's number one. But if, if we look back at the advent of um, television and radio, uh, what we became very enamored with the concept of global connectivity through the media. And at first, when this thing called journalism came to be as a medium form that was visual and, um, and audio, we, we had this thing called journalistic integrity where reporting information that was based on fact to enlighten and enrich people's lives about how they could be of value or how they could understand their happenings, it did help to unite us in a way that we felt less um, like egocentric, where we started to feel the building of community, which is really an important part of accelerated enlightenment. The challenge is, though, as, as we're seeing um, maybe more pronounced in the media divisions between those who are selecting to live in ego and those who are selecting to live in soul. There is a limited sources now that are practicing journalistic integrity where they're actually, they're actually basing their reporting on balanced fact and bringing us to the possibility of conclusions or solutions or you know even having editorial um, opinions which are helping us to advance our progress rather than to just pound the negativity. So as long as we are continuing to devour those sources as a globe, it'll, it'll prevent many, many people from finding that inner source. For some people, the imbalance of being fed that information for such a long period of time and at such, um, such a quantity it could be the one factor that I snapped, in case you didn't hear that snap. It might be that one thing that just says, oh, that was overload. That's enough. I'm going to take a 30-day hiatus from watching the news or even watching television. And when they get that, that impetus to say no more and they quiet themselves from that outside stimulation, it might give them the possibility of opening up to thoughts that aren't fed to them. But the point I, I would really like to make, I think that's very helpful and gives us a, such a sense of optimism. It's not about always looking at what isn't working, but it's to look at what is working. And one of the interesting things about the process of enlightenment is I've always seen us as always, meaning 12 years ago when I started to communicate with guides, but um, I always see us as uh, the, the night stars. When you look up, you know some look dimmer and you know some are brighter, but we also have an understanding that some are placed differently in time and we're just viewing it over a length of time or uh, they are closer to us in physical distance. But we don't judge the quality of a star based on the brilliance that we see with our naked eye. Humans that house souls are exactly the same. There is no judgment about better or worse or more or less. We are just stars radiating with our own source of energy that is eternal and we bring it into this earthly life. 
Now, when we do come to this earthly life, we are born with a vibration or a radiance that is exactly a reflection of what we have selected to do as souls, as individual souls, neither better nor worse. This period of accelerated enlightenment is highlighting those who come into this journey with higher radiant energy, meaning that they have a stronger ability to find that wisdom that exists in the universe and within themselves. The journey for each of these people, I call them points of light, but the journey for each of them is to get past their own stuff. They have to get rid of the narrative that has contained them or directed them to suffering or struggle. And when each of these points of light becomes more clear, they, they find that their rays extend farther and they connect. And that's how Lisa in Florida and Karen in New York and Victoria in California, we find one another through the, the rays of our radiant energy. So now here's the good news is it doesn't mean that everybody's not a point of light. We are, but some people are just developing at a rate that can be of more value or rays might reach a little bit farther. But the good news is that the amount of radiant energy on the planet of those who are living in some phase of awakening is, is getting near being greater than the amount of radiant energy of those who are completely asleep. So if you picture it as like a grapefruit versus a pea, there's going to be more grapefruits that can swallow up the smaller radiant energy of a, of a million peas, right? So it's not numbers of people, but it's the radiant energy collective of all of the way we're radiating on this planet. So the, what, what I mean by this is that that's a game changer. It means we don't need the numbers in order to shift the planet. We have 8 billion people. We don't need 4 billion plus one to shift. We only need the vibrational energy that eclipses those that are asleep. And that number is significantly smaller. So when you're doing what you do, what Victoria does, what I do, what so many people are doing so beautifully and welcomingly, we will be able to accelerate this period even more because the rays array, you know, when you're a kid, you draw a ray on a, on a sun and it's just one straight line, but a ray is radiant. It radiates in every direction, 360 degrees. So eventually there'll be no dark place to hide. That's beautiful. What happens to the peas? Do the peas they, expand? They, well, some of them will lock themselves in their houses in misery, but you know, I don't want to be crude or anything, but then those will die off even, right? Because that's what evolution is all about. We're not we're not eternal in our bodies and we're not meant to be. But in the meantime, a lot of them will grow. A lot of them will move from a pea to a cherry and a cherry to a mandarin orange. A lot of them will just grow. A little bit of growth adds to the propulsion of that movement forward because now their rays are bigger. You know, when people are driven to kind of make the world a better place, I, I like to guide them to doing it without a sense of responsibility or obligation, but with a sense of joy. Because when you're guiding someone that's near your radiant energy, they will overflow that value that they might get from understanding or working with you and they're going to flow it out to all those people that they reach with their rays but if you put the if you put the amount of energy of a watermelon into the the size of a pea that's a lot of lost energy so don't fret if you don't see it working just keep helping those who are who are ready when you help those who are ready and understand the language they can be of so much value to so many more people just in their being not by creating necessarily a massive organization that reaches 20 billion sure do that we don't have 20 billion but it doesn't have to be that it can be small just do what you do with added soul with added kindness with added joy 
Yeah, we always talk about that, how it just spirals out. It just flows out from, and it doesn't matter. Like you said, if you're, you know, your reach or your impact, you can change the day of the kid making your deli sandwich just by an interaction with that person for five minutes and they go on to change the day of the next yes. 20 customers that come in. It, it doesn't, um, yeah, it doesn't have to look like what we in our society deem as like this person is important or an influencer or making a difference. It can look yes. nothing like that to, to be. Yeah. Yes. really powerful positive force in the world yes cool i love that yeah you don't know that that deli clerk he might you know he might be sitting at the dinner table later on that night and his dad could be criticizing him for something and he might just take a moment and think of how nice you were to him or something you said or a compliment and it may give him a reprieve from how he feels in that moment at home and then he might just leave the house and go do that for somebody else you really don't know. You don't know the ripples. You just do what you do from the place of of kindness and really having some care about the outcome of other people's lives, not in sacrifice, but in an in invitation to their own inner wisdom and happiness. Just share that. Right. And and I know that sometimes that's a taller order for some people than others simply because of the circumstances that they've had thus far in their lives. There's absolutely no judgment on the P's in this discussion. I'm sure you no, agree. Not it, at it's, all. It's, it's, it's both what you signed on for, as you pointed out when you came here, and how you've interpreted the events and conditions of your life, which puts some people at, it, it's just, it's easy to go out in the world and be kind and be complimentary when you yourself are filled up. Then it's just overflowing from you. When you yourself are not filled up, it's a taller order to do that, right? There's no doubt about that. There's no doubt. And there's there's no human being on the planet that is unworthy. You know, the, the key is really to have the patience to be in whatever capacity you can be to help them find the best in themselves and to kind of mitigate whatever whatever separated them from knowing that, you know, it all comes down to there were conditions in childhood that separated from us from our knowingness about how really wonderful we are. And every one of us is that is that wonderful. And whatever those conditions were, it's what what can we do to help people eliminate the the strife that that creates, the lack of feeling worthy or visible or feeling like things can work out for their benefit. You know, it's, it's, it's amazing how, like if you just sit in a room with a hundred people and there's a raffle going on, um, if you were to interview everyone before the raffle, you could pretty much narrow it down as to who's gonna win the raffle because the vibration, it is it becomes magnetic. So the energy of expectation becomes what the universe produced for us. So if we believe that we are lucky and we believe that we are magical and we believe that we are worthy, then all of that stuff is going to show us, show itself to us so much more in our lives. I love that example of the raffle. Yes, we talked about that all the time, that we're always just creating whatever we deep down expect. And we can't just declare, oh, I expect this new fabulous thing. It's not about the declaration. It's about shifting that deep down belief because we aren't always aware of the beliefs that are, are running us, right? It becomes the water that we swim in. So it takes some some work, some practice and some self-observation to really understand what those beliefs are that are yes. creating our world. Yes. And yes. often I think that that turning point um, comes from a dark night of the soul, both in an individual and collectively. Like maybe right now we're seeing the dark night of the soul collectively. I kind of hope it doesn't have to get much darker for a turnaround. But if that happens on an individual basis, I assume it would happen on a collective basis as well, that things have to kind of come up in an ugly way for healing in order for, for that turnaround to happen. Yeah. I know a lot of yeah. the listeners to this podcast are on a journey toward higher enlightenment. What does that look like in your world when somebody um, is just making strides toward becoming more grapefruit and less pea? It's it's in, it's twofold, I believe. One is to make small adjustments in your day-to-day -day choices. Um, and some of them, they're so tiny, but they make a big difference in how we feel. Uh, I remember the first time I felt compelled to just, you know, pick up, a shirt that knocked off a rack by the woman in front of me and you know 
10 years earlier and 20 years earlier before that, I might have been, I might have picked it up with a grunt so that this person knew how much better I was than her. <laughs> but now it's like you pick it up and you just put it back. I'm not going to clean your whole store for you, but I really don't mind doing a little bit. It, it's, it's, it, it's the realization that I, I came up with this idea um, like 15 years ago, and I think it was pretty guided. I want when I meet people for them to feel at least as good having met me as they did before, if not better. When you use that as your perspective, it changes your interaction and it changes what you are expecting from the interaction. So we don't know what our own hidden agendas are from the history of our own lives until we put ourselves in that example. So when you say, I want this person to feel just as good at least having met me and perhaps better, it, it helps you to see what is this person experiencing in their interaction with me. It's no longer just about me. It's not, it's not about the fact that I had so much unfairness in life or so much abuse. It's also about this person has a life and they have an experience and I'm not, I'm not gonna remedy those those points in my history by being unkind to this person. This person doesn't carry the blame or the fault. No one carries the blame. It's just the story because the people who hurt me had been hurt before they hurt me or they couldn't have done that to me. It's the story. So that's a very big part is just gradually shifting your own intention in your interaction with people. And the other part is I have found that the what really skyrocketed me to you know remove the masks and layers of childhood really was developing my intuition, and um, because it is has such a passion for me, I dedicated an unusual amount of time and energy to the pursuit because I do come from more of a science background, and evidence is really important to me with the way that my logical mind worked. So when I was developing my intuition, I did it in a scientific way, like with records and physical evidence and more records and more physical evidence. So when I got to amass approximately 3,000 pieces of physical evidence, that's when I felt comfortable with my ability to be a conduit, to be of value to other people. As I didn't want to be a fraud and I didn't want my personal lens of history to skew any information that I could bring through for someone else that could be of value to them. Um, and you don't have to dedicate the amount of time that I did. It's a matter of doing some very, very, very simple things on a regular basis to allow your own intuition to develop. And when you see the results pretty quickly, you feel more confident and you feel more trust and you feel more surrender because you're beginning to see and grow the invisible partner that's helping you when you let it help you. I love that. Okay, so there are two things I want to circle back to, but while you're on this topic of developing, you know, you started doing things. Every week I give my listeners some practice they can take into their life that week. I wonder if you have any very preliminary sorts of steps that, or even just one step, something that they could either think about, pay attention to, or actually take the action steps to do as a starting point for developing greater intuition? The, what I find is the, the simplest and most fun way to really develop your intuition is the first most primary tool that helps is to get a log book or some kind of journal that you were, can record in. I call it question of the day. And each day you choose whether you prefer the morning or night, but each day you pose a question um, start out playful and relatively simple and not earth-shaking or overly consequential because if you have some play in there, you have less attachment to the outcome and that makes it easier to have a positive result. But choose a source that you want to send that question to, um, whether it's a past loved one, whether it's the universe, whether it's your higher self, whether it's someone whose history you had heard of that had been physical, but they're no longer physical and you want to send it to that person. Um, there are no limitations when we're not in our body. We make up all these categories of 
whom we're allowed to communicate with, but those are false. And so it could even be a living person? Somebody still it could there? be a living person. Okay. I, it's interesting. I'm so glad you said that, Lisa. I generally leave that one off because it's like way, um, way more <laughs> uh, complicated for some people to understand that we can connect with the, the non-physical consciousness of those who are physical. But yes, it can be a living person as well. The reason that I say to choose the source, why that's an important part of the process is because if you think about this, it's analogous to learning archery. So your archery teacher comes over and let's make her female. She brings her equipment and bows and arrows and she shows you how to hold and how to point and how to look. And then she says, all right, we'll practice with this equipment and I'll come back next week and tell me how you did. So I practice and I practice and she comes back and she's like, how'd you do? I said, I really have no idea. I mean, it felt good, but I really don't have no idea. And she looks over at the other side of the yard and she's like, well, you didn't hang a target board up. How are you supposed to know how you did, right? You can't. So choosing is directing it specifically toward a target so that you know that there's a relationship and a partnership. It's not just out there, okay? So it helps you see the process being more, um, more tangible and not just so abstract. So the next thing is, after you ask your question, expect an answer and, and expect an answer, just surrender doubt. There's nothing to achieve here. There's nothing to prove, just allow. And within 24 hours, you're going to get an answer. The answer can come in myriad sources and it's important that you stay awake and connected enough to allow that sign and that answer to be visible to you and to take ownership of it. I find one of the funniest things about you know, guides is their sense of humor is that if you didn't take ownership of the first one, they're going to send it again in a second way. And if you're still like, well, that was really cool and specific, but I don't know, I'm still not sure. They're going to try to find a way to send it to you a third time. But after that, you don't want to know. <laughs> uh, but it could come in. I In the beginning, I got, uh, I'm not musically inclined at all. So it blew, blew me away that I used to get a lot of music. And uh, interestingly, a lot in vanity plates on, on car licenses. That was always fascinating to me. Still get those. But it can also come in a dream. It can come in a spam email. It can come in a random conversation with someone at the deli. It can come. Here's one that I find people don't like that much because it doesn't feel magical. But the answer can pop in your head, but you can't find a line of, reasoning that got you there so you can't find your own thread of thought so it just landed there i know a lot of times that's that's something people don't consider to be evidence because they think they thought the answer uh, but it can come I, I i get a kick out of things like you're walking through the den someone's watching tv and you know all of a sudden there's a commercial on and lemons are dropping from the sky but you were you're you wanted something like do i wear the yellow shirt or do i wear the green shirt and that was your question and then later on you read a paragraph in a book that has no description and all of a sudden it's talking about the goldenrod and the beautiful crispy sun burning through the goldenrod it's like really you know, and it's, you just have to be awake, just be aware. So the second step is to record how the answer came. So write it in that book, you have question of the day, and then you write down how you got your answer. If you go to bed the next night and you don't really feel that you got your answer, um, it's okay to give it one more 24 hour period. But after that, you, you're better off starting out fresh because for whatever reason, that question may have become stale. You might have some resistance. You may have some, um, some expectations or attachment to an outcome in the answer. So let that one go. Try to simplify or put a little more fun into the next question, and you'll see it start to flow again. So don't get too caught up in having a day where the answer doesn't appear to come. Now, I want to explain why this is such a valuable ex uh, exercise on so many levels. Number one, it helps you to see how much magic there is in this interconnectedness with you and how specific and direct it can be. Um, number two, by recording it, you have a log. So uh, magnificent things happen all the time. And we're like, wow, and we dial three friends and we do a group text and we're like, oh my God, this is the best. And then 
three days later, we don't even remember what happened. The log helps us have an opportunity to go back and see that the magnificence is even more miraculous than we may have supposed. Uh, the next reason is because those souls that are wanting to guide us and help us and help us get past where we, where we are stuck, they're now recognizing how you recognize how you recognize them, right? They already know it, but now they know how you know it. So they can, it's like, a, it's like putting a crowbar in an open window. When there's a crack there, you just keep opening and opening and opening it. And then they get to flow in with more excellent ways that they can be of value to you. So, and the other part of it is you're, you're demonstrating your intention by doing this exercise and keeping the log. And I'm sure Lisa, that you probably talk about intention on a regular basis. But intention is 50% of every, every aspect of developing the qualities in our life that we want to develop. So the logbook itself and the question of the day, it's showing a commitment to your intention to develop your, your intuition more strongly. Beautiful practice. Okay, that is the home play, y'all. This is a, a good juicy one for us all to practice. I am going to definitely put that into practice this week. I love how you described that for us. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. So I want to go back to the two things that you talked about, the, um, the, the, how you would pick up the, the shirt in the store. And that was one of the first signs that, that you're evolving, that, that we're reaching a more enlightened place. And then you talked about the science and, and how you had done all this scientific research. And it's one of the things that, that we tie together that I find so fascinating now is that today's modern science is just now catching up yes. with what was spiritually always, you know, in every spiritual tradition, it was known this oneness. So I feel like it's the emerging of the realization of oneness that you're talking about when you pick up the shirt and put it on the rack. It's like, I don't remember who said, if we truly loved ourselves, we can never harm another. But it's it's that recognition yes. that anything I do that helps any other person or being on this planet uplifts me yes. because we're all yes. we're all connected and i love how you know science became king and science couldn't find it so it all got shut down for so long and now science has made the invisible visible so we're able to now prove out scientifically what was known since the beginning of mankind that we had just forgotten and shut down yes i totally agree uh that whether it's metaphoric or factual it's easy to use the understanding of the left and the right brain in this process of talking about how we connect back, where is our conduit, and we are as a society enamored with the left brain activities, which is measured in our degrees, our academic achievement, our professional licenses, our income, and so on. And science usually fits right into that, that category, so we're enamored with scientific evidence. Uh, however, now they are definitely more supportive of even the understanding and the study of consciousness itself, the soul itself. And that's brilliant because you, sometimes I just feel like, um, you know, for, for a decade I was doing this without a lot of support from that community of who was valued more, despite the fact that I have lots of scientists and, and um, doctors and people in my client base. They, they always were kind of in the closet with it, like working with me privately and not necessarily coming to public events. But having that support, it helps for us to see that, that there is evidence, so it helps us to suspend doubt. Uh, one, one thing that I, it's, sometimes it's hard to describe, but 
my brain works differently now and I can actually feel it. I always said if I, my first opening was um, on 9-11-2001 and when I developed the ability to connect with the universe and to become a conduit, those two years where I isolated myself and did that was 2005 and 2006. If I were to have a brain map of say 1999 versus a brain map of 2010, I think what was lit up in my brain would look so different that that alone would be evidence because it is retraining ourselves to let go of how enamored we are with the analytical, with everything that's logical or scientific or mathematical or proven or um, whatever that part is because the left brain also stores our negative emotional energy and, and memories. So that pool has a lot of sludge in it. So it's not pure. We need the left brain. Without it, we can't be human. We need to know how to navigate space. We need to know how to navigate time. But the right brain is the conduit. It's the conduit to love, joy, peace, freedom, unlimited possibility. Uh, that's the place that when that part of the brain begins to open up, that's when we find that our narrative and our perspective about reality becomes more supportive of harmony, satisfaction, cooperation, and all of those things that just make us feel good instead of disconnected and isolated. Reminds me of Jill Bolte Taylor's book, A Stroke of Insight, which we've uh, studied at Joy School, where she had like actually shut down different parts of her brain. Also, Joe Dispenza's work I've done a lot with, where he does those brain scans before and after these very intense meditation periods. And That's you can amazing. See the change. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and and even these kinds of things have been popping up a lot over the last ten years, fifteen years, twenty years, and that's the direction we're heading. And when we pay attention more to that than everybody, whether they're a pea or a cherry or a grapefruit, everyone will grow in their own radiant energy when we put our focus there. Yeah. Don't you think that it's, it's fear that keeps people from reaching for that? Like we, we've been conditioned to feel like if we take our eye off the ball, the ball being whatever feels threatening to us, that we're somehow more vulnerable. And so people think they have to keep that edge or or if they go too soft, then they'll be eaten alive. Isn't that just sort of- I, I, I do. I think fear is, it's a very powerful, powerful tool and it's a powerful form of control. Um, not to get too, um, you know, religious or anything like that, but if we just want to jump off the earth for a second, one of the greatest marketing tools in the history of the world was the concept of hell. Like if you don't know what happens when you die, but you are prescribed a list of musts, have to, needs, and shoulds, and you can't prove in any way whatsoever whether they're true or not, then you have ownership of that person's choices and decisions and potentially wealth for the rest of your existence. So fear is a very, very prominent tool that's effective. It's very effective. It's not easy to be... Um, I stay connected to inviting people to be in a better place in their life. But you know what? Some of those titles of seminars and titles of workshops and titles of books, they're not sexy if they don't have some fear in them. You know, people, they kind of like, you know, six ways to avoid dying by 35. And, but if you say how to live to be 100 with happiness, they're like, oh, well, I think I need this how not to die by 35 book <laughs> right so it's it we're we're up against how do we even help people know how valuable this information and to use the tools without using fear to bring them to us and that's that's an ongoing challenge but that's a challenge that i don't compromise on i do not compromise on using fear to bring people to the potentiality of a better place than they were before they met me ever. I will not compromise on that. No, I agree. Absolutely. 
I want you to uh, tell everybody how they can find you and keep up with you. And then I have one, one final question. How can everybody make sure they know what you're up to or what you're offering? Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's KarenGarvey.com with a K. Uh, that's my website. I'm very active on Facebook in particular, Karen, Karen Garvey. I do have two pages on Facebook that I love for people to be active on as well. One is Piece It Together, P-E-A-C-E, It Together. Just a community page where we focus on being an alternative to negative news. We talk about great art and courageous people and cool science and just fun things. And it's a nice place to be able to, that's my news source. It's my only news source. Uh, The last one is Spiritual Billionaires which I use as a way for people to understand that abundance of, in every area of our life becomes more avail- available to us when we are spiritually connected to the wisdom of our souls. Uh, I also have a website called Happy in 90, the number. And what that is, it's a 90-day course, or you can take 30 days or 60 days. It is every single thing I did to move from being a miserable, unhappy, scared, person to being a happy person in a way that's sustainable and perpetual. Every single thing I did and every single thing I help clients do is packed into that 90 days. It, I guarantee you'll be happier when you finish it than you were when you started it. But thank you for letting me share that, Lisa. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And that's a, a video program, like a self-paced people go. Oh. It's self-paced. Once you register, a new day opens up. You have usually either something to read or an exercise to do every day. Um, and it's, it's just jam-packed. So if you, you start out even with 30 days and say, let me see how this goes. Let me see how I feel after 30. Uh, it's actually profound. It's really profound. Oh, I love that. Thank you for, for telling the listeners about that. So I know that Victoria has talked about, and I believe you talk about this as well, that we all are already experiencing our intuition and everybody's intuition is super unique and we all have a different way that we get intuitive hits or that we get intuitive information. I love that that idea because I think a lot of the courses are, you know, follow this map to your intuition and I love right. that recognition that we all already are using our intuition even if we aren't aware of it. I wonder if you like have any examples or if there are some some sort of ways that are commonly that that's happening that people might recognize in themselves if you were to tell them about it. Okay. Yeah. I love that question, Lisa. That's a very, very good question. It's sometimes easier to start from a place of success than start from a place where we think we are lacking. Uh, I do ask people to see where have you had ease throughout most of your life? Some people have ease in their relationship with nurturing their body or with exercise or with romance or with friendships or with real estate or with, um, with science, with math, with, you know, working in business or whatever. Some people it's with children. Some people it's with helping older people just feel more comfortable. Some it's with cooking. Think about the part of your life that has had the most ease, the less, the least amount of strain. That area is the area in your life you've always been intuitive. You haven't disconnected from intuition in that area. So the ease and the love of it, and there's an innate expectation that it will continue to go well, that's the area where you already are intuitive. It's fascinating to see this applied, Lisa, because I think we're shifting a little bit, but in the traditional male model of corporate America, Men, I find in general, they, they're they very intuitive in their careers because they were trained to be alert in the business world, but they might not have been trained to be alert in connection to raising their children. And that's so interesting because they're completely unaware that they're intuitive, which has also led to their success in that career. But whatever area we have the most ease with, Look at that and tap into that because you know you can do it. It's because no one interfered with that lane for you. So the lane is open. No one stomped on it. It's there. Use the success there and and move it over to the other areas where you want to apply your intuition as well. 
Yeah, I love that. So notice how you get ideas or, or thoughts. I'm going to call it hits or intuitive hits. You might not be recognizing them as intuitive hits, but wherever you're in the flow, you are connected to something. And yes. feeling the flavor of that allows you to bring it into other areas of your life. That's great. Yes. Yes. That is yes. great. Karen, thank you so much for your time today. I hope we can play together again. And I would love that. Beautiful listeners, I love you. I can't wait for you to tell me how this amazing home play goes for you. I'm going to do it. I'm definitely going to. I can't that. wait to hear some feedback, Lisa. I want to see how it goes for you. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And I love you all. And I'll see you next week. Joy comes in many flavors, but they all start with you being full on glorious you. If you'd like some personal love and support along your joy journey, find me at lisamccourt.com. And as you do your joy this week, remember that you elevating your vibration elevates the vibration of everyone around you and ultimately elevates the vibration of all humanity. Thank you for being a valued member of the team that's bringing more love and joy into the world. We need you. I'll see you next week for Do Joy, the Vibration Elevation Podcast. Much love. Do you want to deepen your connection to the divine, speed up your progress on the spiritual path, then tune in to the Spirit Matters podcast. I'm the host, Philip Goldberg, and I interview experts with wisdom, insight, and practical guidance for every seeker of truth. Spirit Matters on the mindbodyspirit.fm network. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.